With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Our latest episode of Soundtracking couldn't be better timed. What with Olivia Coleman having just landed a Golden Globe for her performance as Queen Anne in The Favourite. If you haven't heard it already, her acceptance speech is particularly amusing as always and will most likely be one of several she has to deliver during this award season. Telling the story of two ambitious women played by Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone competing for Anne's affection, the favourite is directed by our old friend Yorgos Lanthimos and I'm delighted to say he returns to the show to discuss the sonic intricacies of his brilliant film. As you may recall, if you listened to his previous outing, Yorgos has never hired a composer, preferring instead to source existing compositions. That said, he's most happy to profess extreme gratitude to his sound designer, Johnny Byrne, as in fact are we. For Johnny not only provided us with a couple of specific cues from the movie, but also pointed us in the direction of a lovely video, which reveals how he and his team went about soundscaping the drama. Now you can find that video in full if you head to soundworkscollection.com, though we've dropped a bit of it into our conversation here too. Before that, we begin with one of the many pieces of classical music that Yorgos uses in lieu of score. Water music, suite number one in F by Handel. Welcome back to Soundtracking, Yorgos. Thank you. Um, now, I feel kind of slightly guilty because I'm talking to you at 10 a.m. <laughs> the day after, you've just won 10 awards at the yes. Biffas, five craft awards um, for your wonderful team and, uh, and five awards for the other side. The other wonderful <laughs> team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I feel like this is the worst time for you in terms of, I'm assuming you had a late night, quite rightly so, celebrating. Yeah, well, <laughs> relatively speaking, we behaved. We, we all had stuff to do this morning. So. You must be thrilled, though, by the response. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I mean, it's great when people enjoy what you know we do and mm. it's acknowledged. And, uh, and I'm really happy for, for everyone. Because they, you know, they put a lot of hard work, and they're very talented people, and it's great. Particularly, I mean, it's great 
when those people behind the scenes get that recognition, you know, because we, we love Olivia Coleman and she gives great speeches, whether it's her own or someone else's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could she just pick up all the awards <laughs> and do all the speeches because she's brilliant? Yeah. But, but, you know, your casting director, your cinematographer, hair and makeup, Sandy for costume and production design as well. It's, it's wonderful that those people behind the scenes get that recognition. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, as I said, they... You know, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, most of the times, you know, people even don't know what they do, what these people do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but there's basically all I have to do is choose the right people, work with the best, and yeah, then I look good. And uh, <laughs> um, it's great. That's what I said last night yeah. uh, when I accepted the director award because, you know, basically all a filmmaker, a director does is just make choices, you know, this thing or that thing, this person or the other person. So you just have to choose well and then everything will fall into place. Yeah, but it's what you get out of those people <laughs> once you've chosen them. You undersell your, your, yeah. your talent, I think, a little bit. Yeah, that too, but um, you, ha you have to start from the right place. The last time we spoke, um, I think you just finished filming The Favourite or you were just about to wrap filming and... You told me that um, that Johnny, your sound designer, was currently recording horses, yeah. uh, <laughs> which uh, which was a great discussion we had just about the the intensity of his commitment to what yeah. he does and making sure yeah. he gets everything really precise. That's the one we didn't get, and I'm I, well. I can't be sad getting ten awards, <laughs> yeah. but um, you know the ones we didn't get was editing and uh, sound. Um, and you know, I'm, I would have loved for them to, you know, to get that yeah. too, <laughs> being greedy. Yeah. Hey, there's um, plenty more award ceremonies <laughs> to come. So. No, but because I mean, it's, you know, I, I think sometimes you know, it's a period film, so it's it's not going to have the most impressive sound. Yeah. Um, or or editing for that matter, but. You know, sometimes, you know, people tend to be impressed by something which is... Uh, the obvious things, more so, yeah, I think, the obvious sometimes. And, yeah. uh, and I'm hoping, you know, people understand, you know, what a great work, uh, both my editor, Yorgos, uh, another Yorgos, we call him <laughs> Blackfish. Blackfish. Uh, yeah. Why? So, so we don't co confuse each other. It's his trans. It's the translation of his surname in, in English. Okay. <laughs> He's called Yorgos Mavropsaridis, and we call him Blackfish. <laughs> what would be the translation of your surname? What would be your? Yeah, there isn't one. Oh, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very rare. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Johnny Byrne, you know, they did uh, amazing work, and I hope people, you know, understand that. Although it's not, you know, a science fiction film. Yeah. Uh, but um, it, it really makes the film more unique and original. I'm Johnny Byrne, I'm the sound designer and re-recording mixer on this film. So, on a film set, the only thing that really gets recorded is the dialogue spoken. And ideally, you want it free of noise and clear in diction. Did you just look at me? Did you? Look at me! Look at me! How dare you! Close your eyes! So you have this dense dialogue. So you once were a lady, and now you are nothing. A bit of scullery scraps. How very sad. I'm still the lady of... And you silence it, whilst you experiment with the director and your team 
on how to build the whole sound world around it. And how you choose to do that is key to the whole filmic experience. Usually a period film just needs sound to be supporting the dramatic action. It's not monsters or science fiction. It's a period of time where we know what things sounded like. So you work within that and develop a credible sound language to help steer the story that the audience can believe. I will not betray my mistress's trust. Good, and let's not forget Yorgos's exceedingly high standards of perfection, which meant a very big part of this process was to go to the palace ourselves and discover and record how it sounds. rattle when you move around these rooms that you know they all happen for real it's kind of genuinely how that place sounds when you haven't had to tape loads of rubber to everything because it's a film set and you need the clean dialogue what we tried to do was be incredibly truthful but use it in a way that expresses the emotion of the film even if sometimes we rely on things maybe a little outside to do that so we did it for real and we left there with a real insight and a massive library of sound Thank you, Your Majesty. I was really excited to see The Favourite and my expectations were high and the reality of watching it exceeded all expectations. It is truly, Thanks. truly wonderful. It's a rumpus. It's just <laughs> awesome. There's so many brilliant things about it. And, you know, you did this great thing, I think, as well, where people knew who had been kind of cast in this, these roles and we knew what you'd done up to this point, but nothing really got out about the film and what it was and yeah. what you'd created, which is such a rarity, I think, these days in terms. You seem to know a lot about films before you even see them. Yeah. Was that deliberate? Well, I, I'm, I think I'm generally protective, you know, when I'm making the films. Uh, but I guess in the, for the other ones, not as many people care. <laughs> this was maybe on this one, people cared more to learn. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I just find that it kind of ruins things for me as well. When I, as even as an audience member, you know, I don't want to have seen a lot of stuff from the film or know a lot about it and have a preconceived notion before I see it. I just want to, you know, be excited by a little hint and know, maybe I know the, the people's work or have seen like something short that intrigues me and then I just want to go and watch it. When you feed people with so many things and you show them so many things, you, you kind of lose even interest, I find. like. Even if whatever you show is, you know, great and exciting, when they have too much of it, I think people are maybe turned off and go like, okay, I've seen a lot of this thing, maybe I'll, yeah. I'll watch it some point later. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll skip it this time. So I, I try to, you know, keep it as... And there's a, there's a nice mystery about films, and you don't have to tell everything. That's why you're making the film. You show the film and... That's what people should enjoy. So I, I try to keep it as mysterious as possible. How was this experience for you being the first 
film that you hadn't written? Well, it was very similar uh, by the end of it uh, with the work that I'd done before because uh, I spent a lot of years developing this script and I worked very closely with Tony McNamara that we ended up uh, writing the, the, the script with based on the original script by Deborah, Deborah Davis. Yeah. But it was a it was a long process. Um, I worked a little bit with Deborah in the beginning to restructure her script and focus more on the women and pare down the politics. But then I felt that we needed a, a very different voice. So we we looked for a writer for a very long time and we read a lot of uh, screenplays and plays and uh, we ended up finding this Australian guy. Um, yeah, who, who I felt immediately that had the right voice and felt very confident about working with him. And then we spent like seven, eight years. Wow. Well, I mean, it wasn't non-stop seven, yeah. eight years, but uh, during this time we would go back to it and I'd do other things and go off and make other films and he did his own stuff. But during those years we would keep meeting and working on it and doing passes on the on the script so by the end of it, it it had become so much you know one of the things that I've worked so hard on and for so long that it was very much similar yeah. to the process that I followed uh, it, with my other films because it does feel like your voice is completely there it's your it's your take on things you know you've got a, a brilliant way with drama and comedy that's really unique and I think the way that these three women have taken that and run with it yeah. in particular is just like something I've never seen on on screen before it's just well, a joy to nice watch to, to you. yeah you can only hope that you uh, provide you know your collaborators with the best that you yeah. can the best material the best uh, conditions and then you, you let them get on with it you take a chance as well when you cast people in that that chemistry is going to work and with Emma and Rachel and Olivia there's this energy between this kind of triangle of them that's just exceptional. And I wanted to ask how you helped them kind of prepare for when cameras were rolling. Was there a lot of rehearsal? Was there a lot of preparation? And yeah, we had we had like three weeks of rehearsals. We contradict each other. Some say two weeks. I, <laughs> I say two weeks, they say three weeks. Well, basically it was, I think, a total of three weeks. But during that time we had to do also you know, horse riding lessons, uh, shooting guns, uh, hair and makeup tests. So there was all yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so but we did have. Camp. Yeah, but we <laughs> did have a lot of rehearsal. I mean, almost every day. Um, and uh, I think during that time is where, when they, you know, all bonded. Not just the three women, the three men as well. Yeah. Joe, James, and and Nick. It was all six of them in a room and. Uh, we, we fooled around a lot, we did a lot of exercises, uh, you know, theatre exercises, acting exercises. Um, we worked very physically. We, we had uh, our choreographer around, Constanza Macras, and we would do, you know, things uh, to help them uh, finally get to the, the physicality that, that I had in mind, because one of my, the main things that I, I wanted to do with this film is allow the physicality to feel quite quite modern in a way and yeah. contemporary because um, I, I, I didn't feel like we should follow the example of you know period films 
that have created a certain expectation of how people move, how they speak, uh, and all those kind of things. So we fooled around a lot in trying and you know break that kind of um, mold mm -hmm. of this is how a period film uh, looks like and feels like. So we yeah we rehearsed a lot, and I think all of them got really comfortable with each other. They got to know each other really well. Yeah, when the time came to uh, to be in front of the cameras, they, they, they just um, knew that they could, could depend on each other and they felt comfortable in doing anything in front of their colleagues and they, they wouldn't mind failing. They knew that, you know, the others would be there mm -hmm. um, to support them. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. The Queen is an extraordinary person. They were all staring, weren't they? I can tell even if I can't see, and I heard the word fat, fat, Anne. and ugly. No one but me would dare, and I did not. She's been stalked by tragedy. Everyone leaves me, dies. I apologize for my appearance. I hoped I might be employed here by you as something. A monster for the children to play with, perhaps. It is important to make new friends in court, is it not? You're so beautiful. Stop it, I, you mock me. If I were a man, I would ravish you. <laughs> you have become close to Abigail. She is a viper. You're jealous. You must send Abigail away. I do not want to. Let's shoot something. <gasps> Sometimes it is hard to remember whether you have loaded the pellet or not. I must take control of my circumstance. I'm on my side. Always. Favour is a breeze that shifts direction all the time. Then, in an instant, you're back sleeping with a bunch of scabrous whores. As it turns out, I'm capable of much unpleasantness. <laughs> Did you just look at me? Look at me! How dare you! Close your eyes! I could not just stand by and let you destroy me. <laughs> Approach music slightly unconventionally is not yeah. even the right word to use, really. But you don't hire a composer to then score no, the film. No, I wish I could. <laughs> the thing is that I, I guess my process doesn't really allow me to work with a composer because I like to do a lot of research before I start or during rehearsals, mm -hmm. and you know, find music that I think would be fitting to the film, and then. We shoot it and then after that, especially during the editing process, I spend a lot of time listening to music and trying things out and figuring things out. So by the end of it, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to find the appropriate piece of music for the tone that I'm trying to, mm -hmm. 
to create and then I use it and I try it and we edit it and then it's there and it's really hard after that whole process to bring on someone and say give me something like this do something like this because <laughs> like they'll never do it and, yeah. it's, and you're, you've lived with it for so long and they might do something even better than that but then it's not what you you know <laughs> That you've connected with. Yeah, connected with and, you know, found as the, uh, you know, the perfect piece to create the tone. So anything different just doesn't work the same way and it kind of makes everything fall apart for me. So it has been hard for me to bring on someone uh, later down the line. What I've been thinking is that maybe I should just bring someone earlier in the process, yeah. like a composer that I'm interested in and, you know, have them do you know, music before Whilst, we yeah, even, yeah, yeah. yeah, start editing mm. in order to have that. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping I can do that uh, at some point. It's no rush. <laughs> it seems to be working, what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> what was the thought process in terms of, and um, when did, at what point did you know what type of music you wanted to to include in the film? Because obviously it's a period piece, and there's certain instrumentation that is, uh, I guess, associated with that period and that time. Yeah, harpsichords and that kind of thing as well. And yeah, what was the... it? Was I mean, it was a lot of trial and error. I, I fooled around with more contemporary music, and I did use some of it. Uh, which is from the 70s, or there's uh, there's a composer, Anna Meredith, that I use a couple of her pieces, uh, which are of our day, <laughs> very contemporary. <laughs> And uh, I, at some point I did fool around about the idea of doing even the, the classical stuff, the Baroque stuff, mm. uh, in a contemporary version. But I, I just felt that the original recordings had, you know, a certain kind of color that would be lost, you know, if you did the whole thing contemporary. So I ended up, I think during the editing process mostly, I mean, I kind of was playing around with the idea from before, but... It became clear during the editing process that I, I would want to keep some of it loyal to the period, depending on where yeah. we are in the film and what the scenes are.
but then I could go off and use something much more contemporary like Luke Ferrari's uh, music that we use, which is almost as a sound design, it's very minimalist. Having done that, I felt that I could use uh, even, you know, uh, music, you know, from romantic composers, because which wasn't of the period, but it just felt right. Mm -hmm. And you know, using contemporary music kind of allowed you to go anywhere, and you didn't have to be that, you know, uh, period specific. So I think it formed. Uh, during editing a lot, uh, a lot mm. um, the actual decisions of including other pieces that weren't of the period necessarily. And I also tried a lot to, you know, find music that's not, that hasn't been used a lot. Yeah. Uh, that's always... Is that because hard to do? It's hard because, you know, all the great pieces, people have kind <laughs> of discovered them but you know if you look hard enough you mm. you can you can find stuff and i definitely tried a lot to not use anything kubrick has used because <laughs> um, i knew it was going to be you know because you, you just don't want to go there basically <laughs> just get that instant comparison don't yeah, you it's like, quite, yeah um so it, it was it was you know a long research process to find uh, the right music that you know there's like uh, some pieces from uh, Sebastian, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, brother, mm -hmm. who's not as well known. There you go. <laughs> so you go, you know, down those um, <laughs> roads and try and find pieces that are more obscure and haven't been used a lot because, you know, it's classical Baroque music. So yeah. it's been around for a while. <laughs> There's, there's one particular scene that, that music is part of the narrative, which is the dance scene yes. um, with Rachel and Joe. Did you play the music on set? 
Yeah, because actually it's been played live. So we have musicians there yeah. that actually played that piece. And that's like one of the most straightforward things. It's, uh, it's Handel, I think. Yeah, we picked that early on so we could choreograph the, the dance. Which is uh, brilliant. Having the piece and then I really wanted the... Although you don't necessarily see it as much that the musicians are actually playing uh, live there. I mean, it just felt great and I think that kind of comes through. So yeah, the, the, we had musicians that actually uh, played the piece, we recorded it, and then we would play for the actors for other shots so that they could sing. The dance is quite, it's, it's this wonderful mix of, I don't know how you describe it. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know of, either. Of, I don't know, like if you were going to a Baroque fitness class, it would be some of the <laughs> dance class you'd do that, but mixed with these brilliant contemporary movements as well. It's a wonderful yeah. mix of, of things as well. What were the conversations that you had with your choreographer about that? I think it was more practical in the end. I mean, I first of all, I, I, I knew Constanza's work and I really liked yeah. it. So that's how we got to work together on this. Uh, so, you know, I trusted her. I only told her in the beginning, like, look, look at the, what, the, what the, the dances of the period were mm -hmm. and, you know, be inspired, but we can do something of our own that feels contemporary and break it up and go off and make, have fun with it. And then she started putting these pieces together and the, we would all sit and go like, oh, this is great, not this, maybe you can use that or maybe it can go there from there. And, you know, we kind of all, you know, rehearsed it a lot. And, you know, Joe and Rachel really rehearsed it every day in order to get there. And then there was the added difficulty of the costumes, yeah. you know, especially Rachel's. It posed quite a few difficulties. <laughs> yeah. So by the end of it, we we also had to change some of the moves because of the costumes, mm -hmm. uh, because they came in late. 
So, you know, until we shot it, we're basically tweaking it and yeah. figuring out what it was. Is But it was really fun to do. Is that the costume where she's got the yellow shoes and the yellow ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's a great little kind of like, I'm a little rebel underneath yeah. here kind of thing. It's great. That's a lovely kind of touch from Sandy Powell as well with the kind of... Um, the costumes are, are amazing in it as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, this is good in it. Do yeah? Do you? Um, do you, she's really good. Yeah. Uh, do, do you? Do you have music around set? Do you? It's music. Uh, sometimes. I mean, when there's not a lot of dialogue, or before and after we do a scene, I, I sometimes I do like to create a bit of a, a looser or more concentrated atmosphere in a way, because you know we drown out all the 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 noise and the voices, and people are focus to this one tone uh, so I, I do use it sometimes and what would inform the choice of music that you would play oh it's just mood every day just you know, your it could be something relevant to what I've, I've been trying to uh, use in the yeah. film or something completely irrelevant <laughs> yeah. to something that makes us feel more relaxed and uh, you know, takes away the pressure and yeah no but it's not it's not it's not psychological it's not Um, manipulative. Yeah, it's not manipulative and it's not directly linked to what we're doing. It's just, you know, music that fills the space in a certain way and creates a mood that doesn't have necessarily to do with the scene that yeah. we're doing or anything like that. Well, I might have used a bit of uh, dramatic music uh, for Rachel, one of her scenes, <laughs> as he goes down the corridor and cries. And but that was something like I, I kind of like to do that, like almost see as the see it as the finished shot. Yeah. Because I used some of the music that I was thinking of of using, mm -hmm. and because we didn't really have dialogue or anything, you know, I did play her like really loud dramatic music. Uh, like so a silent movie almost. Yeah, like a silent movie and you know, like you see it in the in the daily in the rushes, you know, it comes back and there's the shot with the music, you know, bad quality in the background. But <laughs> yeah. You kind of get a sense of it and it's fun to do that sometimes. And you know, it goes to the editor as well and he sees this thing and goes like, Oh, there's music in this thing, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. But very rarely, you know, you get the opportunity to do something yeah. like that. necessarily I mean the mo most of the times you know my writing part is like discussing a lot with the writer that I'm working with so yeah. um, it's much more focused work so I no I don't mm. no I don't think so I do that much I, I, I listen to it when I think yeah on, when I'm on my own thinking mm -hmm. what you know about the scripts and the film yeah what's next 
Do you know? I don't know. I, I, we've, <laughs> we have quite a few projects now that we started developing because I ended up making these two films, The Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Favorite, almost back to back. Yeah. So it, it didn't leave me any time in between to progress with the stuff that we were writing. We started writing. So they have kind of piled up now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back to, you know, the creative part of the work and uh, yeah, figure out which one is going to uh, progress further soonest. Yeah. So to decide which one is going to be next. I look forward to it. I think you're going to have a busy couple of months in the meantime. <laughs> but yoga is always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank Cheers. you. Thanks. Just let me wake up in the morning To the smell of newborn hay To laugh and cry To live and die In the brightness of my day I want to hear the pealing bells of distant churches sing But most of all, please free me from this aching metal ring And open up this cage towards the sun For just this skyline pigeon dreaming of the open Waiting for the day he can spread his wings and fly From the closing credits to the favourite, that's the harpsichord version of Skyline Pigeon by Elton John, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with director Yorgos Lanthimos. My huge thanks to Yorgos for taking the time to chat with me again. The favourite is on general release around the world now and is a thoroughly original and gripping take on the period drama by turns bawdy, cynical and tragicomic. Without exception, the performances are also superb. Thanks also to Johnny Byrne for all his help. We'll be sure to sit down with him to discuss his craft very, very soon. Now you can catch up with all of our previous episodes via edithbowman.com which is also the place to subscribe to the podcast. iTunes works just as well if you prefer and please do rate us while you're there. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do keep sharing the word on your socials if you like what you hear. Next up is John S. Baird whose new Laurel and Hardy biopic Stan and Ollie is utterly charming. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company there. Thank you.